My name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor of Grand Valley Church, and we're a community of faith in Brandon, Manitoba. We hope that this message helps you to explore faith and grow in your relationship with God. Well, good morning, church. Welcome here to Grand Valley Church Online. Today we are launching into a whole new series called I Am Jesus in His Own Words. And we're going to be looking at statements that Jesus made about Himself and what we can learn from them. Because at the center of our faith is a person. At the center of our faith is Jesus and what he did in the resurrection. Because when someone predicts their own death and then predicts that they're going to rise from the grave and then they pull that off, that's something that we want to sit up and we want to pay attention to and learn something about Jesus from that. And one of the things that sometimes we think about when we look at the resurrection is we say, but but how could that have happened? Is that really true? And if that's a question that's in your mind, I want to encourage you to click the link in the description. It'll take you to a podcast from about two years ago when we tackled that topic together. And you can also contact us through our website if you want to have more of a conversation about that. I'd be happy to have that conversation with you. But for what we're going to do in this series is we're going to look at some of the words that Jesus said about himself, his own words and how he spoke about who he is. And we're going to be doing this through the lens of John's gospel. So there's four gospel accounts of Jesus' life in the New Testament. The fourth one is the gospel of John, and it was written later than the rest of the gospels. And when John wrote his gospel, he had a specific audience in mind, because already at that point, there were some tensions growing in the early church about, was Jesus really the Messiah? Is he really God? Is this Is this really our faith and how it's changed and developing? And so John is writing his gospel to these people that are wrestling with this question of who is Jesus. And so when you're going to tell a story as amazing as Jesus' story, how do you start that off? Uh, And so John begins with these three words that hearken way back to the very beginning of the Old Testament. He begins by saying, John 1 verse 1, in the beginning. Now he knows that when his audience reads this, and when we read this today, we immediately think back to Genesis 1. In the beginning is the first three words of the Old Testament scriptures, the first three words of the Torah law. So John starts, he says, in the beginning, but then he changes it. He says, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. Now he changes it and he's reinterpreting and re-understanding Genesis 1 with this new information that we have about who is this word. And the word here is a title that he's using in place of Jesus's name. And this word means a word that brings purpose and meaning. He says the purpose and meaning already existed. The purpose and meaning was with God. The purpose and meaning was God, meaning Jesus. And if we jump ahead a few verses, he expands on this. He says, so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the father's one and only son. And just a few verses later, he ends his prologue, his opening to his gospel. He says, no one has ever seen God, but the unique one, meaning Jesus, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. 
And this is the way that John sets it up to say, what I'm going to tell you about is going to reveal who God is to you. And this is going to be a complete understanding of who God is. And so we're going to look at these statements, these times in John's gospel where he records the way that Jesus spoke about himself. And we're going to pick this up fairly early on in Jesus' ministry. Jesus was already traveling and teaching and gathering people as followers. And him and his disciples, they were having people being baptized and declaring that they were choosing to rededicate their lives to God in this new way. And it was already upsetting the religious leaders. And so in John 4, verses 1 to 3, he tells us this, that Jesus knew the Pharisees, this group of religious leaders that were all about being strict and following the rules. The Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John the Baptist. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. Now Judea is the southern area where Jerusalem is. And Galilee is further up north. But between Galilee and Judea is a place called Samaria. Now, good, faithful, devout Jews, if they wanted to go from Judea to Galilee, they would take the long way around and they would bypass Samaria. They would skip it completely. But Jesus instead takes his disciples on the direct route right through Samaria. And there was a lot of history and a lot of conflict between the Jewish people and the people of Samaria. And so that's why they avoided each other often. And so Jesus is traveling with his disciples one day and they reach this village And it's about noon. And so Jesus arrives at this well that tradition tells us that Jacob from the Old Testament was the one who dug this well in this place. And it's been kept open until now. And so Jesus sits down at the well. He sends his disciples into the village to buy some food to eat. And while he's sitting there waiting, this one woman comes up. The Samaritan woman comes to the well to draw water. And so Jesus asks her for a drink of water. He says, would you draw me some water so I can have a drink? And she is surprised by this because, and here's what it says, John 4 verse 9, the woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus is breaking all the rules, even by talking to her, even by traveling through Samaria. But Jesus then begins a conversation with her about water and living water. And then he reveals something to her. He says, he asks her the question to say, go get your husband. And she says, well, I'm not married. And Jesus says, you're right. You've had five husbands and the man you're with now, you're not even married to. And so she kind of steps back and realizes, wait, you know more about me than you could possibly know in any other way. And so she makes this declaration. She says, sir... You must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? See, she immediately realizes when he's a prophet. She says, you have to be something more than just human. And she says, can you settle this argument that's been separating us for centuries? Because where this this argument came back to, this is one of these times we're going to jump back into history for a moment, is when Israel split into two kingdoms, Israel in the north kept the name, and then Judea in the south, the northern kingdom eventually fell to a nation known as Assyria. 
And the Assyrians had this policy of forced resettlement. And so they took a lot of the Israelites in Israel and they forced them to move to other countries. And then other countries they and nations that they conquered, they'd force those people to move and to fill the space in Israel. And so by mixing up everyone's cultural group, they were trying to prevent people from banding together and uprising against them. And so because the Samaritans descended from this group that was from a very mixed group of nations, they had a different understanding. They had actually a completely different book of the Torah that the Jews in Jerusalem said that's not valid. And one of the differences they had was that Mount Gerizim was the place that when Joshua, thousands of years earlier, led the Israelites into the promised land, Mount Gerizim is one of the two mountains where they renewed the covenant This part where they said, now that we've reached the land that God has promised to us, we're going to renew our covenant with him together. And so the Samaritans believed that that was the proper place to worship. Whereas the Jews in Jerusalem believed that Jerusalem was the right place to worship. And they endlessly fought about this. And so she says to Jesus, can you solve this for me? Now, Jesus does something that infuriates everyone. And he does this repeatedly through the Gospels. He gets asked a question, is it this way or this way? And he goes, no, there's a third way. And so Jesus replies, he says, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming where it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while us Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way, in spirit and in truth. See, Jesus points to the future and says that this time is coming when it's about having a relationship that transcends the physical location. It's about worshiping in in spirit and truth means that we are understanding the value of who God is and the value to us in our relationship with him. Essentially what Jesus is getting at is this is about more than music and singing. It's that God is looking for a relationship with us that transcends our physical location. And so he tells the woman this. And she's obviously a little surprised, but then she says something surprising. She says, I know the Messiah is coming because Jesus referenced the future. She says, oh, let's talk about the future. I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. See, this is this moment of faith that she demonstrates that she knows that something is going to change in the future. She knows that her faith, her relationship with God, as flawed as it may be and as flawed as our faith in God may be at times too, she knows that there's this future Messiah coming. And we talked about this term Messiah last week at our Easter service. We talk about this anointed one, this redeemer that's going to come to restore Israel. And so then Jesus tells her, I am the Messiah. Now, usually when we see this, we focus on that part, the Messiah. But what I want to do in this series is we're going to look at the first part. We're going to look at this I am right here. And you'll notice on the screen and in your Bible that it's written in small capitals. And it's written that way because it's signifying that in the original language, this was a very specific word choice. In fact, this word choice goes back to the ancient Aramaic instead of the Greek that they would have been more likely to be speaking. 
See, I am the Messiah. Jesus uses a very specific word that has a very specific meaning that goes all the way back to a very early event that happened in the history of the Israelites. Because the specific word for I am is the name that God used for himself when he spoke to Moses from the burning bush. So we go back thousands of years, even before the Israelites reached the promised land, about 40 years before they reached the promised land. God spoke to a man named Moses who had grown up an Israelite, but then had been adopted into Egyptian royalty. He had committed murder and fled to the desert of Midian. And while he became a shepherd out there, God speaks to him through a burning bush and tells him that Moses is the person he has chosen to go back to Egypt to deliver his people out of captivity. And Moses, he tries to throw the book at the bush, essentially. He tries to throw every excuse and reason why he is not the person to go and do this. And so it's his last ditch effort to say, I don't want to do this. Moses protests. This is from Exodus 3, 13. He says, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? So what should I tell them? And God replies to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. And so when Jesus makes this declaration to the Samaritan woman, he says, I am the Messiah. He is using this exact word that God used as the name for himself when he was sending Moses to deliver Israel out of captivity and into freedom. And so when Jesus says this, he is very intentional with his words because I am means that the I am, our God, God the Father, has sent Jesus to lead all of humanity into a relationship with God. See, this is where this statement, I am, gets cool because what Jesus does is this phrase, I am, keeps coming up over and over and over again in John's gospel. And John focuses in on it because it tells us about who Jesus is as the Son of God, as fully human and fully divine. And so we ask this question, what does this tell us about Jesus? When he says, I am the Messiah, he's not just saying, I'm the anointed one. He's actually, in fact, describing himself as a form of a new Moses who will lead the people into freedom and a relationship with God. He's actually setting up a contrast between Moses, who led the people up to the edge of the promised land, but was not allowed to take them into it. And Jesus is contrasting himself, saying, you know, Moses was given the law, and he led the people for a time. But now I'm coming, Jesus has come into the world to lead into freedom and to a new relationship with Jesus. This is a big change. And what also is fascinating about this is that the very first time in John's gospel that Jesus declares himself to be the Messiah is in a conversation with a Samaritan woman. The very definition of an outsider, of a lower class person that someone who was a Jewish rabbi, a teacher of their law, would not associate with. She gets the privilege of being the first person that Jesus declares himself to be the Messiah. Other people had started talking about Jesus being the Messiah already by this point. But this is the first time those words come from Jesus. And he tells them to an outsider, 
to someone whose testimony wouldn't have been considered valid because of her gender in that day. She gets the honor of being the first person told that Jesus is the Messiah. There's something fascinating in that about how Jesus wants to reach all people with his message. And so they continue discussing and talking about this. And then his disciples return, and they're all shocked that Jesus is talking to this Samaritan woman. And she goes running off to the village and says, listen, I found the Messiah. He's here. And so Jesus ends up spending two days in this Samaritan village where any other time he would have been considered an outsider. And so what happens at the end of John 4 is fascinating. Then the villagers say to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we've heard it for ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. See, Jesus begins his ministry telling people about who he is. And John, as he's near the end of his life, he's compiling his story together to tell people about who Jesus is. John focuses in on this I am statement, and it's going to appear seven more times in the Gospel of John that we're going to look at in this series together because it teaches us about who Jesus is. And the whole purpose comes to this last line, now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. And we celebrate that at Easter time, but this is something for us to lean into all the time of saying, how do we lean into our relationship with God? How do we recognize that Jesus is indeed the Savior of the world? But I want to end by going back to John's prologue. I want to end by going back to this poem that he tells, where he retells the origin of their people under this new understanding that we have, because God himself has put on flesh and stepped into our world to teach and to lead us and be in a relationship with us. And this is what John says in the fourth verse of the opening of his gospel. He says, the word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. This light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. John is making this declaration about their history. The Israelites went through many dark, depressing times in their history. Times when they failed the covenant, times when they lost everything, when their land that was the symbol of their covenant, their relationship with God, was taken from them. The temple that they had built to be the center point of their worship to God was destroyed multiple times. So what? This question comes up. Even in the darkness, where will we find light? And what will we do to bring Jesus' life and light into the world. And in just a couple weeks, we're going to look at a statement where Jesus talks about, I am the light of the world. And we're going to talk more about what that means. But for now, I want to leave you with this question. What do we do to bring Jesus' life and light into the world? Do we recognize the way that our world was so profoundly shaped and changed when Jesus stepped into the world, when he came to restore and to redeem? And how does that shape our lives on a daily basis? So let me just end with a word of prayer. God, thank you that you came to earth 
God, thank you that you came to teach and to lead and to draw us into a relationship and that you want to know us. You want to know us on a spiritual level and you want to reveal your truth and you want to be in this deep relationship with us. And so, Lord, I pray that in whatever ways we can, that we, your church, would be lights into the world, that we would reflect a piece of your divine light wherever we go and with whomever we are in contact with. And Lord, even if that's just in our own homes right now, Lord, how are we being light and life and love wherever we are as your followers? In your name we pray. Amen. So folks, thanks for joining us in our online service, or if you're watching this later. And we're going to be in this series for a couple weeks, diving into the I Am statements about understanding Jesus in his own words. And I hope that you'll join us for each of them. So folks, I hope you have a great day, and uh, see you online next Sunday. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Our Sunday services are online only, streaming at 11 a.m. on YouTube. You can find out more about our church by going to mygrandvalley.ca or you can find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for My Grand Valley. Thanks for listening.